morning, Lake Church. Come on, stand to your feet. Who's excited to worship the King of Kings this morning? Hallelujah. I want to invite you all to come to the front. Glory to God. Father, we just give you praise. Let me ask you a question. Has the Lord done good in your life? Has the Lord done good? Then you have a reason to worship and praise Him this morning. Hallelujah. We give you glory, Father God. We give you praise. We thank you, Lord, that we are the gates of God. And as we open our mouth in worship and in praise and in exalting you, Lord, that we create an atmosphere for you to manifest yourself in God. We thank you, Father God. We thank you that we can come together to worship you, Father God. Give you praise. You are worthy. I said you are worthy. Come on, you begin to shout. And praise the Lord in this house. Whoa. Yeah. 
is just in this place right now. It's so good. I just, I just feel led for this service to come into agreement with first service. I think we need to switch our mindset as we prepare for the meetings coming up with John Ramirez to become the servants in the room. And I just felt like uh, uh, the scripture parallel that would best be fitting for the attitude we should take on is we should be the friends that climbed up on the roof to lower the man in the room to Jesus. We should be the people that would just create in, in, in the most ridiculous way, the most radical way, whatever it takes to get the broken to the feet of Jesus. We'll do anything it takes this week to just prepare a way. If it takes us serving in some area we've never served in, if it takes us giving up our seat, it doesn't matter what it is. We'll get out of the way so that the broken can come to Jesus. First Timothy chapter 2, it says this, and we just want to hook our faith to the desires of God. Verse number 3, it says, For this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That word saved isn't just about heaven. It's about deliverance here, now. It's about freedom. It's about healing for their body. And so we know that that's God's desires. So I just want you to hook your faith to the prayer that's already been prayed this morning and pray with me. God, we just thank you that this week will just be a week of freedom for all those that come into this place, those that have been written off by the doctor, those that have been written off by, by the church, those that have been written off by the rest of the world. We just thank you that your love is present in this room. And when your love is present, healing goes forth. When your love is present, the brokenhearted are mended, God. We just thank you. And we know... We know that as we place it a man in accordance with your will, you'll go above and beyond. In Jesus' mighty name. Do you agree with that this morning? Amen. Amen. Give it up for Jesus in this place. Hallelujah. We are so glad that you're here. If you would turn to a neighbor, introduce yourself, shake a hand, love on somebody. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a fun week in store. I think it's going to be crazy. I think it's going to be far above our imagination could ever, uh, could ever imagine. So I'm excited. But we want to give you the opportunity to just sow and partner with us. I think, uh, I think it's important. Uh, this week is who we are. We're the people building place. And so we're going to see life transformation happening here. We're going to see miracles happening here. We're going to see people restored. We're going to see people forgive. We're going to see just so much restoration. And that's our heart here. We desire to equip people to be Jesus to a lost and broken world. And it doesn't matter if you're two months old or if it doesn't matter if you're 174 years old. It does not matter. That's our desire. So we just want to give you the opportunity to partner with that. You can do so by giving on the number that comes across the screen. You can also give at lake-church.com, and you can give from the envelopes on the seat back in front of you. I'm going to pray, and we're going to receive that offering. Father, we just thank you so much for the privilege that it is to partner in the family business with you. We want to be about the kingdom business, with, which is people. And so this week, God, we just thank you. We give liberally knowing that freedom is just going to completely break out of this house this week. And people are going to go back to the places that they come from, the states that are surrounding here, the places that are surrounding here, and they're going to bring that freedom with them. And it's just going to be a catapult effect. We thank you so much in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Good morning, Lake Church. How's everybody doing? Are you ready for this week? Amen. It is going to be wonderful. And um, we're just going to set the tone here. Um, we are basically, this message is hell no. <clears throat> Amen. Now, I don't mean that in a slang term. I don't mean that in a cussing way. I mean that, that we need to equip ourselves with helping people say no to hell. Amen? And uh, that's what we're going to be endeavoring to do. Uh, we've got a lot of wonderful things happening uh, at 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, we, we're looking forward to just uh, John Ramirez will be with us. He's in town. Uh, we picked him up last night, and uh, he's getting ready for the service tonight. Uh, we're going to have food trucks that are going to be out here. So if you want to come early, you can do so, and it's going to be really a, a good atmosphere, good time of fellowship, but also we need to have a servant mindset, just as Pastor Trevor said. Just have a servant mindset, be ready to serve, be ready to uh, give up our spot if we need to, just because, hey, we want people that are far from God to say no to hell. Amen? Uh, whether it is salvation or whether it is hell in their body, hell in their mind, hell in their marriage, hell in their finances. Amen? We want to we usher them in into the presence of the Lord to where that stuff can be broken off of their lives. Amen? And so I've got a twofold purpose uh, today on speaking on this topic to set the tone for where we're at is I want to get you more in a evangelical mindset. I want to get you in a mindset to where you're concerned about your neighbor and your coworkers. I want you to be concerned about the people that are around you. I want you to realize that regardless of how busy your life is or how many different aspects of your life that you are encountering and, and doing, it is all about eternity. Because in a New York minute, it can all change. And that you, can, you can find yourself in eternity. And so we need to understand that there are only two places in which we will reside forever. We'll reside either away from God in a place called hell, and then later, you know, the, the lake of fire, or we can be with the Lord forever in heaven and also reigning upon the earth. So the choice is yours, and we have to lay it out for you. But if you're here today and you just need a stirring in your heart to be more passionate towards the people around you, that's my heart. That's what I want. I want to stir you up, especially for this week of meetings, as we begin to see people come in with great needs in their life. We get emails quite uh, frequently <clears throat> of people that are bringing infirm children, uh, teenagers that have lost their mind through drugs, things of that nature. They're, they're bringing their kids, they're bringing people because... Of, um, of the ministry of, of, this, uh, of this man. Now, we don't celebrate a man. We celebrate a ministry of God. And it's the anointing of God that we want to interact with. See, this is a, the, the anointing of the evangelist. And when it comes to the anointing of the evangelist, we have to cooperate with it, guys. You have to cooperate with it in order to take advantage of it. Now, for three years, I've been teaching you day in and day out on these different things. I've been teaching you about the spirit world. I've been teaching you about angels. I've been teaching you about demons. We've talked a lot about those things. Now's the time 
to cause the intersection of what God has imparted to us and put it to practice in the everyday lives of people. Amen? And so I'm, I'm counting on you. You're just as much up here as he ever will be. Amen? As ministers of this house, you guys are all up here as well. When I preach, you preach. And anybody's behind this pulpit, it's you. Amen? And so it's just time to be the church that we always thought we could be. Amen? And so I'm, I'm desiring to, to see that. Amen? Hallelujah. We will not have children's services on Sunday through Tuesday. We will have our regular Wednesday service. I want the kids here. I want, I want uh, kids to experience. The youth, of course, will be with us. And they, they need to be exposed to these things. Amen? I'm, I'm surprised at how many young people have not been exposed to certain aspects of ministry because they'll never venture into the adult service, so to speak, or adult service. I'm just using that with quotations. It's all just service, amen? But sometimes when we put them in rooms, we kind of segregate them and, and uh, separate them from seeing things that they need to see, amen? They need to see deliverance. They need to see healing. They need to see people crying and weeping for God and seeing a passionate, worshipful spirit that is going to be here as we worship. Amen. We're so grateful for the Romeros being with us to come and help us with worship. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, it will be a dynamic time. I guarantee. Amen. I got my Cajun going on there. Amen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And, uh, you know, many times we don't, myself included, you know, we, we do not minister on hell like we should. We do not keep it in the forefront. But hell is a great motivator. It's a great motivator when it comes to people in our lives that are far from God. It becomes a motivator. It's not that we need to tell them they're going to hell. That's not our job. That's really not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel that God has uh, reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and that we need to receive him. That's the gospel message. But we also need to understand that um, hell is a part of that situation. It shouldn't necessarily be the emphasis. The goodness of God should be the emphasis. But then also there is warning. There is warning of a place called hell. And we need to have it in our mindset to spur us to passion and compassion towards those who are far from God, even those that we don't necessarily like, okay? We need to realize it's about eternity, folks. It ain't about our grudges. It ain't about our opinions. It isn't about our political party. It isn't about our bank account. It isn't about how many kids we have, how big of a house we have, and what car we drive. It's about eternity. Because it can change like that. It can change like that. <clears throat> so Jesus <clears throat> tells a story. And I want to uh, reiterate, like I did at the first service, this is not a parable. He is not comparing physical things to spiritual things. He is telling a story of a real, of real people. He says there was a certain man or there was a man. He's not saying like a man, 
or some man from far off or some fairy tale. He said, this is a real person. These people existed. And he's giving you a glimpse on what happens when someone passes from this life. Now, let's read it together here. You don't have to read it with me. Just read it in your mind, all right? It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Let me stop there. He did not go to hell because of this. Okay? There's a lot of people that are into, you know, this social justice and things of that nature that are using the gospel to say, this person deserves the judgment of God because of these things here. Jesus is just establishing this man's lifestyle. And there are rich people and there are poor people. And there are rich people that go to heaven and there are poor people that go to hell. And there are rich people that go to hell. Come on now. It's not about this person's lifestyle, all right? Next verse. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, or in hell, being in torment, notice that, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. He wasn't having, you know, he wasn't uh, down there at the casino down there partying with his friends. He wasn't having, you know, riotous stuff with all of his buddies. Come on now. Just like songs like Highway to Hell and things of that nature, saying all my buddies will be down there, everything will be good. That's not what he says, being in torment. That doesn't sound like a party to me. Right. How, many, how many enjoy torment? Anybody enjoy that? Say, oh, pastor, I love torment. Nobody likes torment. They don't like mental torment. They don't like physical torment. <clears throat> they don't like marital torment. They don't like any of it. They're in torment, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes. Notice that. His, his countenance is no longer proud, and it's, it, he's got his eyes down. He says he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Everybody say flame. Okay, flame. Torment, flame. All right, but Abraham said, child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Now he's not saying that Lazarus got a ticket to be in Abraham's bosom or paradise because he had such a lifestyle that was, uh, you know, nothing but uh, poverty and, 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 and bad, you know, situations. He wasn't rewarded for having a bad life on here. There are people who have had bad lives here who are in hell. See, it's not about that. There's people who say, well, this life is so hard. I, 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 I should be allowed to go in heaven. No, that's not true. There's only one way to get into heaven, and it's not by your circumstances. All right? 
All right, and it says, besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would uh, pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Notice that. That is the basis right there. That is the basis for where these two men are. It's what they did with Moses and the prophets. Now, Jesus hadn't yet died, so he's talking about an Old Testament dispensation here. It was Moses and the prophets. Basically, he's saying, if we could put it in our vernacular, it says, what they did concerning the Word. What they did concerning God's Word that was found in Moses' writings and in the prophets. He said, let them hear them. All right? And he says, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So he's not, he's not asking. Notice he's not asking to be sent back to his brothers. And we'll get to that in a minute. That's very curious that he wouldn't ask because he knew where he was and he knew why he was there. He, had, he said, send Lazarus. Send Lazarus to my brothers. <clears throat> if they do not hear Moses and the prophets... If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, he said, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Okay. So Jesus is not, again, using this as a spiritual parable. He is speaking about the reality of life after we split the veil, after we leave our bodies. Notice this, one was in hell in torment and in flame, and one was comforted, carried by the angels to what was then Abraham's bosom, which was also found in the earth at that time. When Jesus died and was raised from the dead, paradise shifted from in the earth to God's heaven, the third heaven. And that's the reason why when he was resurrected, all of the Old Testament saints resurrected with him and came into the heavenly abode. Amen? So what I want to establish here is that there are many myths about hell because we have a lot of religious ideas about hell. We have a lot of popular culture ideas about hell, and they create a certain mythology that if you follow them or you embrace them, they will mislead you and misguide you. Not only in your own personal life, but in helping others say hell no in their life. Because we need to help people say no to hell. Amen? Do you believe that? Amen. So I'm going to give you five myths about hell, and we're going to talk about them. The first one is this. Jesus was unconcerned about hell. Jesus was unconcerned about hell. There's a lot of people, he was all about love. You know, Jesus was all about love. Love your neighbor, love your dog, love everybody. All you need is love. Isn't that what he said? No, that was John Lennon. Okay. So 
Jesus talked a lot about hell. He talked a lot about it. Okay, let's look at some scriptures here. I think we have them on the screen now. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Let's look at another scripture here. It says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all cause of sin and all lawlessness. Lawbreakers. Okay, go ahead. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's look at another one here. Jesus talked a lot about it. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. Here I have made five talents more. Okay? Now, we also know in the uh, other passage of that scripture, lower down in that verse, that there was the man who hid his talent in the ground. And he hid his talent. He said, you know what? I, 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 I believe that you were a hard man. You sow where you didn't sow, and you, and you basically do what you want to do. And that's the mindset of a lot of people in the church. They believe God's mean. They believe that God is mean and that he, all he wants is his and that uh, he just does what he wants to do. And we have absolutely no, you know, no recourse. If he wants to do it, it's going to be done. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches at all. But notice, because this servant did not do what he was supposed to do, and he saw God in a way that he shouldn't see, he was cast into outer darkness. This is Jesus talking, gentle Jesus. All right? Maybe we got another one here. Let's see. We have another one. Mark 9, 43. <clears throat> and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. These are very explicit terms. These are not figurative terms. These are not just metaphors. This is absolutely real stuff. Jesus was concerned about hell. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? So he is concerned about the welfare of humanity. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him should not, what, perish, but have everlasting life. I think if we would meditate on that scripture a little more, the church would be a whole lot better. Now, we write it on everything, and probably all of us can quote that scripture by, by heart, but do we really believe it? Do we really embrace its words? He is not willing that any should perish, so much so that he brought his own sacrifice to ensure that you would never you'd be able to say no to hell. Oh, come on. Come on now. That's good news. That's the gospel. Amen? That's good news. Praise the Lord that he saved us from hell. Amen? He saved us from hell through the sacrifice of Jesus. So Jesus was concerned about hell. He spoke a lot about hell. People say, well, Jesus wasn't, was, uh, wasn't concerned about money. Jesus spoke about money more than any other thing. 
read the Bible. All right? Okay, number two. Hell was made for mankind. Hell was made for mankind. This is a myth, an absolute and utter myth. There's people that believe that God created this prison for humans to go to, and it was never, ever created for man. Matthew 25 and verse number 41, I believe. 25, what does it say? It says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for all humanity. Is that what it says? No, it says the devil and his angels. So hell was created in the bosom of the earth to deal with the satanic rebellion and to deal with Satan and his angels. It was never meant for Adam. It was never meant for you. It wasn't built for you. It was not the maximum security prison built for humanity. It was built for fallen angels and the devil himself. So what does that tell you? God had no intention for humanity to ever be confronted with a devil's hell. Then what happened? Well, Adam decided to come in union with the devil. And so the consequences and the judgment and condemnation of the devil became man's condemnation. So the devil's future became our future because we sided with him. Humanity sided with him. Adam sold us all out to where we have been sold into sin and slavery and we will have the same end of our master, Lucifer. Okay? Are you getting this? Okay, it's going to get more explanation as we go down this road, okay? All right, so hell was not made for mankind. Number three, hell is filled with bad people. That's a myth. Hell is filled with bad people. There are people that helped you fix your car, helped you pay your light bill, went every Friday and fed the poor, went overseas and served in various uh, humanitarian aid and things of that nature that are in hell right now. They're the good old boys and good old girls of the world that we just thought they had it all together and never told them anything about Jesus because we, we thought they were absolutely perfect. But yet, they find themselves in hell. Hello. Because hell is not a destination you get to because of what you do. Hello. But then we can, we can kind of turn the tables on it and we can say this. Uh, another myth is heaven is filled with good people. That's another myth. That ain't true at all. Have you read some of these patriarchs in this Bible? Have you read about David? Come on. 
murdering another man so that he can have his wife. But yet he was known as a man after God's own heart. How about uh, Abraham? Lie. She's my sister. Hello. Lied. Absolutely lied. Okay. These are people that were not perfect. And they wouldn't necessarily be classified as good people. How many uh, gift another woman to their husband? Hello. That's the gift that keeps on giving. Okay. I mean, there's some crazy stuff in this Bible. There's some crazy stuff. But yet, heaven is filled with bad people. But hell is also filled with good people. Come on now. Think, I, I want you to think because it's not based on what we do. Your works will not get you in either place. There's absolutely... Oh, come on now. Your works don't get you in either place. It's what family you're born into. Your eternal destination is dependent upon being born into a family. Amen? Oh, my goodness. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then it goes on and says, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, it's a gift. Being born into the family of God is a gift. It's not something I earn. It's not something that I can attain through my own personal goodness or, you know, get my, you know, righteous merit badge because of all the good deeds that I've done. I just have to solely depend and trust in the work of Christ. That's it. But there are people that want to trust in other things. And they trust in their own goodness. They trust in human good. Well, I help with the poor. I do the coat drive. I do this. I do that. I go to church every time the doors open. Listen, you can be in church all the time. Go split hell wide open. <clears throat> it's not based upon whether you go to church or not. Or whether you've read the Bible or not. Well, I've read that Bible. Well, it doesn't matter. You'll go to hell with the knowledge of reading that Bible. It's not based on that. It's based on the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. That's the reason why it's good news. That's the reason why you, you don't deserve it. We all deserve hell because we've sided with the ultimate rebel. We are in league with him. We are one spirit with him when we are not with Christ. When we are fallen, we are one spirit with him. But Jesus has come so that we can be one spirit with him. And when we're one spirit with him, we get the inheritance he attained. Not by our works. Oh, I, I feel like I need to hit this more. Because people just get this idea. Well, you know, and, and especially when crisis happens to their life, what do they do? They size up what they've done. 
Well, God, why did this happen? I do this, I do this, I do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do that. It's not the basis. Even when it comes to your healing and your deliverance, there is absolutely no basis in your works. It is through the atoning work of Jesus, the complete and perfect work of Jesus Christ, and that's it. Amen. Amen. So important. So important. Here's another myth. Put it up on the screen there so I don't have to look at my notes. All right. There are innocent people in hell. That is a myth. There are innocent people in hell. There's people who say, Pastor, what about those people on the backside of, you know, in, in areas of the world in which there's absolutely no gospel, no missionary, no church, no Bible or anything? How is God going to be just in judging them? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because... We find the answer where we always find the answer, in the Word of God. Not in what a preacher says. Not in what Grandma said. Not in what Papa said. No matter how many times he attended church and read his Bible by the fireside when you were a kid. It's what does the Bible say. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse number... i tell you what, I'm... We're going to have to join Kevin in the, in the glasses department. <laughs> I might have to borrow yours. 18. <laughs> 18, it says, For the wrath of God. That's not a bad confession. I'm just having some, just having some issues. <laughs> it's the lighting. That's what it is. <laughs> says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Notice this. They know the truth, but they suppress it. God calls the world heathen, or the, the religious world calls the world heathen, not because they don't know. It's because they know and they suppress it. Every nation on the earth has been infiltrated by the gospel. The apostle Paul saw that all of the 72 nations that came out of the Tower of Babel, he didn't make it to Spain, but I'm sure someone else did, heard the gospel message. And they had to make a decision. Are we going to continue to follow these gods that we have established in our lives, or are we going to embrace the gospel message? And there are governments and kings and groups of people that said, we reject the gospel. That's how they became heathen nations. God doesn't call anybody a heathen just for not knowing. Never. Never does he call a person a heathen for not knowing. He calls them a heathen because they know and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Amen? Okay. All right. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Say that again. Plain to them. Plain to them. Plain to them. 
well, they didn't have a preacher, you know, a missionary, so I guess they, they, get, a, they get a, you know, a pass. No. God says what is, can be clearly seen is plain to them. Okay? All right? Because God has shown it to them. I tell you what, people get all worked up about people saying, well, he's an atheist or he's an agnostic. Well, you can't be an atheist without acknowledging God. You can't be an atheist. <laughs> you don't know what's going on in someone's heart. You don't have any clue. There are people that will bald face lie to you, lie to your face about what they believe about God. And they know darn good and well that God's been, eternity is in the heart of every man. So believe me, there's not going to be any innocence when you hold on to your atheism and you pierce the veil and you come face to face with the one who died for you. I'm telling you, there's not going to be anything that you have that's going to be able to cover you up. All your pain, all your turmoil, all your offense, and all the things that happened to you that you use as armor to keep you from embracing the gospel message and receiving God's love and righteousness will not be there. You will be bare and naked like Adam was right before the master. And you won't have mama to blame, and you won't have daddy to blame, and you won't have the government to blame, and you won't... Because there's no innocent people in hell. Now, I'm telling you, when you go to jail or prison, everybody's innocent. I went to prison ministry. That's the first thing they tell me. Well, pastor, I'm innocent. Well, they caught you red-handed. There's pictures. <laughs> Unless it was a shapeshifter. It changed. They got this picture of you. You know, they had it on Facebook. I think um, one of the News on Six anchors had you... Have you seen this man? Have you seen this woman? Come on now. But I'm innocent. There's none of that talk in hell. There's help. There's help me. But there ain't. I'm innocent. I don't belong here. Did you notice in the story we read that that man never once said, I don't know how I got here. I do not belong here. Wouldn't you think that would be something that he would say if he felt that it was injustice that was brought into his, his life? Absolutely not. He never said it one time. And he asked for Lazarus to go, not himself. He didn't even ask the Lord to give him a second shot. He knew why he was there. And everybody that pierces the veil and finds himself in either place will know directly that they're either there by the work of Jesus and his work only, or they're where they're at because of their own works. Amen? Okay. Notice what he goes on and says. It says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been 
clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. Praise God. John's trying to call me, so would you call him back? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my phone, I mean, it's just vibrating and vibrating. I almost wanted a cigarette. Um, <laughs> but... So anyway, but, uh, okay. <laughs> so it's clearly seen by what we're, you, you can look at a tree, you can look at nature, you can look at a stream, you can look at a bird, you can look at all kinds. Is that, okay. All right. This is very professional. <laughs> but uh, anyway, okay. You can see it in every, you can see it, you know, the, the, your body preaches the gospel. Did you know that? How your body works. How, you know, the, 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 this earth, even though it's fallen, even though it's, uh, it's um, travailing and, and, you know, uh, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, it still has the fingerprint of God on it. And so you can see God through those things. So, you know, them worshiping a tree is not the proper message. Do you understand that? They have to be taught that. Oh, you, oh, you. We've got this no-fault religion these days. If it happens, it's not my fault. If it don't happen, it's not my fault. It's all him. It's all God. If I didn't get healed, it's God's fault. Oh, come on now. If you didn't get saved, would it be God's fault? Absolutely not. God has extended everything to us. We have to be reconciled to God. We have to make a decision. Amen? I want to read from this book called A Land Unknown, and this is by B.W. Melvin. Now, I don't embrace or believe everybody that's had a body experience, and, but... You know, I begin to look at similarities in testimony and, and try to find, you know, if, if you got one that says this and one that says something completely different, I kind of... But if there's common denominators, especially in heaven testimonies and in hell testimonies, I take notice. And, uh, you know, he was right in line with a lot of those that I believe were legitimate um, experiences. Anyway, he was a young man raised in a Christian family, was raised in church, but decided in his youth years when he began to go into his adolescence that he didn't want anything to do with God. Well, he finds himself on his deathbed after eating something that uh, uh, just began to put his uh, body in a state of septic, and he's beginning to die, and he's got an excruciating fever, He's hot. He's, he's lying in his bed. He knows that his time <clears throat> is up. And so I'm going to read after he passes from this life. And I want you to listen to what he has to say because I believe it's important for every Christian to hear this because we take for granted what we've been delivered from. We've been Christians for so long we forgot what we've been snatched away from. Amen? And so it says, Deep, cool darkness surrounded me. 
as I effortlessly floated through it. It was a peaceful darkness, and it seemed as though I had been transported through time, floating through this deep blackness towards a small, lone, shimmering, glorious, luminous light, slowly growing bigger as I drew closer. I felt great relief, no more pain, no more fever. I was free. Now he's talking about his spirit has left his body, and when your spirit and soul leave your body, you don't have the pain or the feelings of the body. So if you are infirmed, you don't feel infirmed anymore. In fact, you are in your real self, your real body, so, which is your spiritual body, and you're able to see and know things. Your senses are heightened to, I mean, great levels, okay? He says, The ink-black darkness was darker than night inside a cave. Slowly, the pinprick of light seen off in the far distance grew brighter. I could hear sounds like many voices singing mysteriously in some strange melodic tone, producing a stunning, harmonious hum. Each voice complemented the other perfectly. The light became more mystifyingly dazzling as the harmonic music grew more profound. Out of this darkness, a unique kind of knowledge began to fill my mind with thoughts and images. Now notice this. As he's being transported to this place of judgment, because the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Okay, so he is getting, you know, a lot of people will say in near-death experiences, I saw my life flash before my eyes. Well, he's all of a sudden getting all this data, all this imagery, and of course he's no longer restrained by his physical man. So he's able to take in large amounts of information. Okay? Did you know that your spirit can take in large amounts of information? But it's your noodle, your physical noodle, that has trouble processing that. Amen? And so he says, This knowledge was unlimited. It was as if some great force or powerful entity was speaking to me by the means of thought. I began to know things that I had never known nor understood before. The only way to describe this knowledge arriving by the, the agency of thought was by a central theme, it, by the central theme it left, like a residue on one's mind of images, words, and explanations. As I floated towards the astounding light, tra uh, traversing the distance in pleasant darkness, I knew from knowledge revealed that I was without excuse. That was its theme. I knew that I deserved my fate, whatever it may be. There I was, floating towards a light, with the knowledge of my life being revealed to me, and at the same time, the knowledge of a universe displayed in grandeur. The light drew closer. A figure of a person wearing a white robe with a bluish sash around the waist was emitting this light in a sunburst of bright, vivid colors, which ranged in intensity from soft candle glow to brilliant colors of the universe never seen before. Blue hues to bright white and warm yellowish uh, hues, uh, almost blinding. The beauty of that light awed me, but my, gray, but my gaze was transfixed by the presence 
of this white-robed person, I was moving towards him where he stood. He stood upon a great round-hewn rock jutting out from this black void. A brilliant radiance emitted through his robe. When he revealed a hand, rays of brightness came forth in blinding fashion like first rays from the dawning sun. Upon viewing this person, any peace I felt suddenly vanished. Stark fear overcame me. I knew that if this person were to push back his hood and reveal his face, I would literally melt away into an unfair nothingness. Then, extraordinary calmness returned to me. My fate appeared sealed before arriving here. I was without excuse. The knowledge of the universe proclaimed. Floating in a falling leaf rocked by the autumn winds, back and forth I gently fell, landing feet first upon that rock. Perfect love, compassion, and fearsome justice overwhelmed me as I stood before one whose gaze, through hidden, though hidden behind a hood, pierced me like a dagger. I then fell like a sack of wheat onto the ground, weeping. Someone touched my shoulder and helped me to my feet. Standing transfixed, I could not run and hide nor turn right or left. I could not blot out the shame and guilt of rejecting this person standing before me and all he had gone through to restore a soul like mine. As a young child, I used to sing this stranger's name. Think, listen, listen to that. As a young child, I used to sing this stranger's name. See, it's not about do's and don'ts. It's about relationship. It's about who do you know and who you know. Amen? He says, instead, I blamed him. He said, uh, he said, but I grew out of that. And instead, I blamed him for all the pain and suffering in the world. I denied his existence. I had argued that I could prove God was a criminal with intent. And I defended with blind faith and popular teaching the popular teaching of evolutionary processes. I now stood mesmerized before the very one I had tried desperately to deny existed so I could justify my own ways. The gaze of this veiled stranger shamed me as I recognized that I was responsible for my actions, not he. There was no one to blame. No excuses to give. It was I alone who had trod the path and set the course for my life. He goes on to talk about that Jesus reached out to him and he saw the gnarled flesh in which he was peered and it, uh, pierced and it, it was as if the the sinew there had been just ripped and torn. And he said, I looked at that, and he said, somehow I knew I did that. Isn't that amazing? So are there innocent people in hell? No. No. 
not. As good as we think we might be, we are well below the standard. Amen? Amen? Okay. Last one, I believe. Let's see, number five, I guess. All right. God sends people to hell. We found out it wasn't even made for man. We've seen through these uh, various other truths that uh, God has made a way irrespective of our works. But yet God's sending people to hell. Now say for instance that uh, you're out on uh, the stormy seas and I mean the waves are taking you down and you know you just got a little bit left and you're going to drown. And you are in and then the waves are taking you up and there's a, just a storm and it's absolutely horrible and, and you're crying out for help. You're wishing some boat would show up or a piece of wood would be able to help you, you know, as you go through there. And God throws you, you know, a life preserver but you don't like the color. I wanted a blue one. He sent a red one. I wanted a blue one. That's exactly what people do. They'll use a blue Buddha or anything else or anything other than the one provided but yet God sends people to hell it doesn't make sense it does not make sense hell was made for God's enemies but yet he has made a place for you to be reconciled through Jesus Christ it's about relationship guys Say if someone pulled up to your house, knocked on your door, you'd never seen this person in all, never had any knowledge whatsoever, might have just seen them at the grocery store, but really have no knowledge whatsoever of this person. And they pull up to your house with a U-Haul and say, we're moving in. We're moving in. I think your response would probably be that. But yet people all the time want God to let them in the house and they have no regard for him whatsoever in their life. But yet they'll blame him for Katrina. They'll blame him for earthquakes and the death of innocence. But yet in times and seasons in which they do not experience hardship, they have no regard for him whatsoever. None. But yet God sends people to hell. Now, he'd say, well, God's mean because he won't take me as I am. Well, just think about that person showing up at your doorstep. Would you consider yourself mean for not letting them in your house? No, you wouldn't. And you wouldn't be. I wouldn't say you were mean. I'd say you're reasonable. 
I'd say that was a good move. You don't know what you're bringing in. Well, see, when it comes to God's heaven, he's not going to allow anything that will bring corruption to it. So he provides a way in which we can make ourselves acceptable unto him so that we can enter into this place. And it's through relationship, through Jesus Christ. We become a part of the family. Amen? Now, I've run out of time, but I'm going to get these points real quickly. Is that, you know, people are real good about attributing tragedy to God. In fact, there are more Christians that are mad at God than they are mad at the devil. And that is really a deception of the enemy to get you upset about God over what the devil does. But we need to understand it's the devil who steals, kills, and destroys. So anything that steals, kills, and destroys in your life is not God. Jesus delineated and contrasted himself with the thief and the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. He said, the thief comes but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. I mean, get a clue, guys. Get a clue. You have to have a theologian to confuse you about it. Some of the worst enemies of God preach from pulpits. Trying to tell you that God took your baby. That God took your husband. God took your wife. Hello. I remember there was um, a company that was uh, in the manufacturing. And they were having people, you know, get in accidents and get maimed and some even died and of course every funeral was God needed a flower so God just took them no faulty machinery took them in fact they said this once they started applying the safety laws God didn't take near as many hello we got to use our head and stop making this theological Junk that's being propounded that God is, 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 is just, you know, waking up and he's got you on the list to take out. God wants you to live. He's not willing that any should perish. And it hurts his heart that people are going to hell right now as we are sitting here in our seats. <clears throat> the Bible says that God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ and that he is not imputing men's trespasses. He's not up there taking a, a list of your sins. Jesus Christ took the wrath of God on your behalf. He is the perfect sacrifice. His sacrifice is complete. It is perfect. And you don't need to do anything else but just simply embrace and believe the gospel message. That is the basis for you to be translated from death to life. Amen? Amen? Jesus talked to the most religious leaders of his day in, in John chapter 8. These were upper echelon religious leaders that the rest of the population thought were in right standing with God. But he looked at them and he said, 
You are of your father, the devil. So that spoils another myth that I don't have in my notes, that we are all the children of God. We are not. Everyone that is born in this earth starts off as a children, child of the devil, because you are one with Satan. It is only when we receive Christ that we receive the born again, new creation, and we come into the family of God and become a son of God. The battle that we have in our nation is sons of God and sons of Satan. But we are not all. No matter how pretty they sing it, no matter how, you know, what kind of, you know, stage design and dramatic presentation that they have, that we're all children of God. No, by creation, you were created by God. But that doesn't mean you're, their son, you're his son. You're only his son when you embrace Jesus Christ. And so those that remain children of the devil, they will have the devil's fate, which is hell in the lake of fire. But, oh, I got good news. You don't have to be a child of the devil. You don't have to be a son of disobedience. You don't have to be lost in your trespasses and sins. You don't have to be enslaved by your addictions and by your depravity. You don't have to. Jesus came to liberate you and to save you. Amen? Come on now. That's good news. He took your sin. He didn't have any. He took your sickness. He was never sick. He took your poverty. He walked as a prince among men. He became your curse so that he could extend to you his righteousness. His standing with God is now your standing with God when you embrace his message and believe on him whom God has sent. And when you do that, you pass from death to life. You pass out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. You become a citizen of heaven and a son and daughter of the most high God. I'm telling you, that's the gospel message. And it's by grace through faith, not of your works, because you don't have any room to boast. It's all what he has done. All what he has done is how we stand before God, free of shame and guilt and condemnation. We don't have to wallow. We don't have to get down on our knees and, and feel like that we're worthless. We need to realize that the blood of Jesus was given for our payment, for our redemption, to wash us and cleanse us and to make us whole and to cause us to be able to have the ability to say, hell no. Amen? And that is important, guys. So, twofold application here. If you're here and you don't have the assurance of salvation, we want you to be able to say no to hell by embracing Jesus this morning. We'll have counselors here after we close the service that'll be here to help you and assist you in your prayer. If you need to rededicate your life, sometimes after hearing a message, you just kind of see, man, I need to make some adjustments. 
Well, sometimes you can do that on your own, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can do that on your car ride home. You can do that sitting in your seat right now. But if you need somebody that link arms with you and hold you accountable for the decision that you're about to make, then I suggest that you come up and receive prayer. You need baptism in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues? I don't think you should ever walk out that door without that. If you need healing in your body or if you need deliverance, we have one-stop shop right up here after we close the service. Amen? God loves you. God cares for you. Secondly, maybe you're here and you don't have a need in any of those areas. I'm asking you to be more mindful and more concerned about the people that are around your life. Because if hell is, if we have an awareness of eternity, it will motivate us to minister to people who are far from God. And that's what we want. This week, we want to really make an impact on our community by coming against the works of darkness and the works of the devil in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And so we need to be more mindful about being a servant and helping and ushering people into a relationship with God than ever before because they're coming and they'll be here tonight. So let's all make a decision that we're going to be mindful about people's spiritual condition, not what team they were for in the Super Bowl, not what political party they're a part of, but what is their eternal situation. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you.